Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dead America, Heartland Part 5. Dead America, The Second Week, Book 12. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter 1. Day 0 plus 14. The moon sat high in the sky, full and illuminating the thousand soldiers below prepping their gear. Sergeant, is your team ready to go? Captain Kersey asked, as he glanced over the idle train awaiting the troops. The engineer walked the length of it, doing one final inspection before they loaded up. Sergeant Copeland nodded, motioning to his three-man team. Just give the order, sir. This is Corporal Bretz and Private Kowalski, Kersey said, stepping aside to introduce two of his men. They were on the roof with the other survivors and have the intel for your mission. He motioned to the corporal. Gentlemen, Brett said, clasping his hands in front of him. According to the info we have, there are survivors in apartment 1218. Apparently the building was heavily infested with zombies, so they've been stuck in that apartment since this thing began. Corporal Dawson raised his hand, clipping his set of night vision goggles around his stocky neck. Do we even know if they're still alive? According to the survivors in our building, Kowalski put in, They've been contacting each other via handwritten notes on whiteboards, but they haven't heard from them in a day or so. Copeland checked his rifle and slung it over his broad, dark shoulders. Any other survivors in the building? He asked. Unknown, but probably, Bretz replied. You'd like to think some other people were smart enough to keep the doors closed when this hit. Copeland attached his night vision goggles to their passive position. Incursion point? Through the roof. The corporal replied, unfortunately, there isn't a landing zone, so you're going to have to rappel down. The sergeant grinned, not our first rodeo, so that won't be an issue. Definitely our first time rappelling down out of a commercial sightseeing chopper, though, Dawson added. Copeland shook his head. Still, it won't be a problem. We don't know the condition of the survivors, but there's a good chance they haven't eaten in a while, so we're including a care package to meet their immediate needs. Bretz continued. Dawson raised his hand again. Make sure there are some med kits in there, he said. Mac here was studying to be a nurse before he decided it was much more fun to hurt people than heal them. Private Mac sighed, his blonde all-American hair glittering in the moonlight as he shook his head. You know, you can just say I went to med school, he said dryly. Yeah, it's not nearly as funny, though, Dawson replied. Kersey checked his watch. Sergeant Copeland, you and your team have four hours to clear this building, he said, commanding attention. We're making a push for the Riverfront Park Island at dawn, and I need you there to lead the assault. With pleasure, sir, Copeland replied with a salute. The captain nodded. An APC will meet you at the front of the lobby just after dawn, at which point you and your team will need to rendezvous with the invasion force. They're coming in by train, and the tracks are a few blocks from the hotel. Yes, sir. Copeland said, adjusting his belt. 
We studied our maps your assistant gave us, so we know where we're going. Kersey nodded again, satisfied. Any questions? What about the Apache? The sergeant asked. We will have it in the air and awaiting your orders, Kersey said. Thank you, sir, Copeland replied and held up a clenched fist. We will make this happen. I have no doubt, sergeant, Kersey assured him. All right, boys, let's load in, Copeland bellowed to his team. He tossed his bag in and then motioned forward. Dawson clambered up first, his broad frame taking up the whole door, followed by the leaner but still jock-type Mac. Bringing up the rear was Private Moss, the youngest of the group at a green 25, and he paused at the pilot's barking. We doing this or what? Benny snapped, sounding halfway between irritated and excited. Copeland gave Moss a smack on the shoulder, urging him inside, and then hopped in himself. Fire it up, we're good to go. He waved down at Kersey as they lifted off into the night. So, Kowalski said as they watched the chopper disappear. What now, Captain? Kersey took a deep breath and waved for the duo to follow. Back to the command center, he said. There's a lot to discuss. They took in the hustle and bustle of men and gear and hubbub in silence as they made their way back to the command room. It was a high-tech setup with four stations. Each one had a big screen, except for the fourth, which had a three-screen setup. A lanky, geeky-looking guy by the name of David Frazier rolled back and forth on his office chair between stations. As the group entered, he turned around to face them, taking a long slurp from his gigantic energy drink before grinning at them. Captain, he said. Kersey motioned between his two companions. David, these are two of my squad, Bretts and Kowalski. There was some handshaking and hellos, and then the captain motioned to the empty stations. Where are your underlings? Things have been pretty quiet since the sun went down, David explained. So I sent them to get some rest in one of the neighboring rooms. Feels like it's going to be another long day and they need to be fresh. What about you, Kersey asked. David held up his can of energy and shook it with a wink. I kind of procured a case of this before we left on this assignment. I'm good to go for quite a while. Any chance I can grab one of those? Kowalski asked. Bratz raised an eyebrow. Can you shoot while jittery? Better than I can when I'm asleep, the private shot back. David reached into a duffel bag next to his station and pulled out a can, tossing it over to Kowalski. The private popped the tab and held it up, David clinking his against it before they both took a deep draft. Can you pull up the full map of Spokane? Kersey asked, crossing his arms. David spun around in his chair and hammered away at the keyboard of his central station. A full-scale map of Spokane and the surrounding suburbs popped up. Kowalski let out a long, low whistle. Woo, that is a lot of ground to cover. Pre-war, the metro area had roughly half a million people in it, David reported. The private let out a bitter laugh and shook his head. Ain't no way in hell we're clearing this in a day with only 1,500 men. Don't worry, we aren't killing half a million zombies today. Kersey assured him, clapping him on the shoulder. Our mission for the day is to break up the hordes so that our men can march in from the east. We do just like we did yesterday in Hayden, clear the streets, secure the structures with zombies in them, and we spend a few days sending clear teams door to door. Bratz nodded thoughtfully. I imagine that'll go a whole lot faster once the main army gets up here. Speaking of that, Kowalski said, straightening up. 
Any timetable on them getting here? Kersey shook his head. No clue, but I'm supposed to talk with General Stevens this evening to give him an update on the battle. I'm sure the topic will come up. Okay, Captain. Bratz took a deep breath. So how are we playing this? Kersey put a hand on David's shoulder. Can you please pull up Veradale? He asked. Their geeky friend punched some keys, and the map zoomed in on a suburb running along the interstate to the east of town. It was several miles away from the main area of Spokane, densely populated with homes and what looked like a few businesses. This is Veradale, Kersey said, waving a hand towards the screen. A lovely little suburb that is currently home to tens of thousands of undead monsters. This area needs to be clear before we can push on into the heart of Spokane with the bulk of our forces. He tapped David on the shoulder and pointed to the far right side of the map. After some more enthusiastic key punching, the drone zoomed in on a bridge interchange on the interstate that was surrounded by absolutely nothing. This is our defense line. Johnson and his team are going to redeploy from the state line to this bridge, blocking up the road underneath it with trucks and forming a fire line at the top. It's on the far east side of Veradale, so it's a perfect staging area. Kowalski's eyebrows hit his hairline. Is Johnson's team doing okay? He asked, not even bothering to keep the curiosity out of his voice. Let's call him and find out, Kersey said. Need a timeline update anyway. Without even being asked, David pulled up the communications and connected the team with Johnson, setting it on the speaker at the bottom of the screen. Go for Johnson. A voice came through loud and clear, shots ringing out in the background as he spoke. Johnson, what's your status? Kersey asked. Oh, hey, Captain, he came back. No matter how many of these buggers we shoot, they still just keep coming. Although in the last hour or so, they have started to slow a bit. The captain nodded. ETA on being able to move out, he asked. Best guess is in a few hours, Johnson replied but I feel pretty confident that we'll be good to go by dawn at the latest. Kersey pursed his lips and then leaned forward. Okay, I'm going to send another team your way close to dawn, and they'll have more ammo for you. What, no breakfast? Johnson replied, and a chuckle rippled through the room. I'll see what I can do, Kersey said. I'll have your new orders to you before they get there. Appreciate it, Cap, Johnson replied, and there was a dull click as the line went quiet. The captain tapped David on the shoulder. Super center, please, he instructed, and the map moved west about a mile into the heart of Veradale. Kersey pointed to a large intersection to the south of the interstate, with two massive superstores in the northern corners. This is going to be our major draw point in Veradale, he said. We're going to send a team in there in trucks, have them get up to the roof and start firing away. Hopefully this attracts a crowd from the east, so our teams can march on through. Captain, sorry for interrupting, David said, glancing over his shoulder. But who would you like to put on that detail? I need to coordinate the supply chain so they can bring ammo to Johnson. Give it to Corporal Herrera, Kersey replied. He did a good job salvaging the bridge operation after Gilbert gave it a good fucking. David typed a note to himself on one of the smaller screens. I'll make it happen. So how many of these hubs are you planning on doing? Bretz asked. For Veradale, it's just this one, Kersey explained. The area is mostly residential, at least in the densely packed area. There's a shopping mall near the interstate, but it's a ways away from everything, so it's low priority. Kowalski tapped the side of his can thoughtfully. What about north of the river, he asked. 
business park and a few more neighborhoods, Kersey replied. But nothing that we'd need to create a hub for. Bratz nodded. I'm going to assume we're doing similar tactics in Spokane. Yeah, except we're going to have to get real bold with this. The captain took a deep breath. Veradale is several miles away, but with the amount of bullets that are going to be flying, the risk of attracting tens of thousands of zombies to them is substantial. So we're going to have to create some major distraction points in the city while they're clearing the suburb. Kowalski raised his hand. Well, my team can hold our own from the top of the apartment building. We can draw them in and take them out. Once that chopper pilot gets back from dropping Copeland off, we're going to have him start taking men to the city, Kersey replied. David's found a few other potential sites. The man in question nodded and held up a hand, counting off on his fingers as he spoke. The convention center near the river is flat, and there are a couple of hotels spread out on both the north and south sides of the river, he said. We're not going to garner the attention of every zombie in the city, but it should hopefully be enough to stave off the eastern teams from being overrun. Which brings us to our main target, Kersey said, inclining his head towards the screen. David moved the map to Riverfront Park, which was an island in the middle of the Spokane River, running right through the heart of downtown. Riverfront Park, he declared. Kowalski nodded slowly. Nothing like creating a fortified island fortress on the fly. Exactly how are you pulling that one off, Captain? Bretz inquired. The private shook his head. Yeah, there weren't enough boats to move men up there. Wouldn't matter if there were. David cut in. Because there are a couple hundred zombies on the island, it would be suicide to attempt a boat landing with such few men. Guess helicopter is out for the same reason, Bratz mused. Just can't get enough men in there in time. That's why we're moving them in by train, Kersey said, as the tracks came into view four blocks to the south. The tracks are on a self-contained bridge, with a grassy hill just to the east of the landing zone. The APCs will be creating a diversion as they start going to pick up survivors, thereby clearing the way for the team to meet up with Copeland and storm the island. Bretz nodded, crossing his arms. How many men are you sending? Figure 50 plus Copeland's team will get the job done, Kersey replied. Kowalski leaned in, chewing his lip as he stared at the bridges coming in and out of the island. Cap, there's like half a dozen bridges on this thing. Fifty men going to be enough to cover that? Probably not, Kersey replied. But we do have an Apache in our back pocket. Kowalski grinned. Sounds like a party. Shame I'm gonna miss it. You should have a good view from your comfy perch, Bratz teased. Hey, that's true, Kowalski replied, holding up his can in a cheers and taking a long sip. The corporal turned to his superior. So where does that leave me, Captain? You want me back at the airport? Is the situation there under control? Kersey asked. Yeah, the interior is secure, and it's far enough away from everything that any threat can be seen and eliminated before it gets close, Bretz replied. So if any zombies decide to follow the APCs as they drop off survivors, they'll be in for a bad time. Kowalski grinned. Benefit to having an entire squad of snipers. In that case, I want you heading up the West Side team, Kersey said, and motioned to the screen. David pulled up a map of the west side of Spokane, on the other side of the river. There was a sparsely populated area to the northwest, with a lone bridge leading over into a highly populated residential area that went on for miles. 
This lone four-lane bridge is the only crossing over the river on the west side of town, the captain explained. I need you to stop up that bridge and draw a crowd. David zoomed in on an apartment complex a few hundred yards south of the bridge. You should be able to pull some cars from the parking lot here, he said as he zoomed in. It's not a transfer truck, but there should be enough vehicles to form a solid barricade and give your men an elevated position to fire from. What's this? Bratz asked, pointing to a collection of buildings just across the road from the apartments. Looks like a business park. It's a community college, David said, which means no dorms, so it's unlikely there will be much resistance there. The corporal nodded. That's good to know. Any questions? Kersey asked. How many men am I getting? Bratz asked. Fifty, Kersey replied. I'll put you in touch with the troop coordinator, and you can pick who you need. The corporal took a deep breath and cocked his head. Sharpshooters and car thieves come to mind. Like I said, whatever you need, the captain replied with a smile. Appreciated, Brett said. But how are we getting there? The train tracks roll right by your stop, Kersey said, gliding his hand through the air to accentuate his point. But you're going to be a little delayed in getting there, as this is the transport train that's taking these men to the front lines. You are also going to pick up the east side teams that pushed down to the waterfront yesterday. What about the east side team in Post Falls? David asked. Kersey shook his head. They'll have orders to clear out that town, then move to the front lines, he explained. It's gonna be a hell of a walk, but they can manage. I'll make sure they know, David replied, and typed another note on the small screen. Kowalski swished some energy drink around in his mouth before gulping loudly. This is gonna be a bitch of a day, ain't it? Brett shrugged. You say that like it's something different. At least one thing's different, the private replied, wiggling his can in the air. This one is starting out good. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Chapter Two. Just another walk in the park, eh, boys? Copeland said, clasping his hands together as he looked out over the moonlit residential areas of Spokane. Moss shook his head as he caught brief glimpses of creatures moving below. Guess I missed those nighttime zombie raids in the sandbox, he joked. Must have been before my time with you guys. Regardless of what we encounter during this raid, I doubt it'll surpass the horror of the party raid, Dawson piped up. Moss raised an eyebrow. Party raid? Times like that, I wish I was a drinking man so I could kill those brain cells, Copeland said, all humor gone from his pallid face. What the hell happened? Moss demanded. Mac took a deep breath. We were in some small province in the middle of fucking nowhere and got intel from what was supposed to be a trusted asset, he began. Claimed there was a terror cell making IEDs in this mansion on the outskirts of town. Or whatever passed for a mansion in that godforsaken part of the world, Dawson added. Mac nodded, motioning to his friend with agreement. Anyway, we're monitoring the situation from outside using thermal gear, 
and we see a huge mass in the center of the building that's reading heat that's off the charts. We're thinking we've hit the jackpot and found a major operation. Given the heat, we were assuming they had something big brewing, and we didn't have time to wait, Copeland said, and cleared his throat, eyes downcast. I made the unfortunate decision to take the objective ourselves and not wait for backup. Moss's eyes were wide as saucers. So what was in there? Dawson, you want to tell him? The sergeant asked. Hell no, Dawson replied, putting up his hands. I still have PTSD flashbacks from that night. Mac patted him on the shoulder. I got you, man, he said, and then turned back to Moss. So yeah, we breach the perimeter and get to the door easily. No defenses should have been a clue, but we were committed at this point. The sergeant here kicked in the door and led the charge inside. Took about two seconds for the smell to hit us, with the horrifying visuals catching up shortly after that. There was a moment of tense silence, and Moss waved his hands wildly, looking back and forth between his team. Well, what the fuck was it? Mac sighed. It was a 15-person orgy. That doesn't sound pleasant, Moss replied, regardless of where this happened at. It was so much worse than you could imagine, Mac groaned, scrubbing his hands down his face. Just 15 people living in a town with no running water and a constant 115 degrees during the day, all doing that. Copeland shook his head with a grimace. And not a looker in the bunch. Not that I spent much time inspecting the participants once I realized there was no threat. Dawson just shuddered at the memory. So how did your contact get his information that screwed up? Moss asked. Dawson grunted. Oh no, he knew exactly what he was doing, he replied. Turns out his sister was married to the owner of the house, and he wanted to teach him a lesson for hosting these immoral parties. Kinda glad I missed that operation, Moss said quietly. Mac nodded, deadpan. You should be. The moon reflected off of the tall buildings of the downtown core. All right, boys, Benny came over the radio. We almost to your stop. I'll get as low as I can, but you'll have to rope it the rest of the way. The group looked around for line hooks, but they didn't see any. Where are we hooking up at? Copeland asked. Benny motioned vaguely with his hand. Flip down that back wall panel, he instructed. Mac rooted around and found the panel, pushing the door down. Behind it were some high-quality mounting brackets, and he nodded with appreciation. Should be some rope underneath the seats, too, if you need it, Benny added. Dawson shook his head. We've got our own lines, but we appreciate the offer, he said. You get a lot of demand for rappelling out of your choppers, Copeland asked, skepticism in his voice as he inspected the brackets. Benny barked a laugh. First time that's being used, actually, he admitted. But I flew in Nam, and I learned real quick to be prepared for any situation. The sergeant leaned back, reaching out a closed fist towards the pilot, who gave him an enthusiastic fist bump back. Glad you're with us, Copeland said. Benny grinned. Right back at you, he declared. Now y'all go kick some zombie ass. The chopper hovered about eight feet over the apartment complex roof, Copeland dropped a duffel bag filled with food and medical supplies, and then the four men hopped out in unison, rappelling down quickly and detaching. The sergeant gave Benny an exaggerated wave, giving him the all clear, and the chopper rose up, disappearing up into the darkness. 
The men did a quick sweep of the cluttered roof, bits of concrete everywhere. Clear, Mac announced first, and met Copeland by the stairwell door. The others declared their areas clear and circled around to join them. Main target is three floors down, room 1218, the sergeant said as he checked his weapon. We eliminate hostiles before attempting contact with survivors. Firing is on my signal. We ready? They all nodded, and they flipped down their night vision eyepieces, each with a green lens covering one eye. Then let's move, Copeland said, and gave Mac the signal to open the door. The private flung it open, his sergeant leading the way inside. He checked the top landing quickly, and then focused on the stairs, sweeping with his gun. He moved quietly down the steps, stepping lightly, and approached the first door. He tugged on it gently, making sure that it was latched and secure before heading down to the target door. As the team reached the third floor, he gave a silent countdown, and then Mac opened the door for him. The sergeant hurried through, still not making a sound, boots muffled on the carpet. The hallway was fairly narrow, with only two and a half of his own broad shoulder lengths separating the sides. Copeland stopped and held up a fist to stop the team, noting a few dozen zombies about halfway up the hallway, all paying attention to a single apartment. The area was completely black with zero lighting, which thankfully blanketed the soldiers under cover of darkness. The sergeant crept forward to where two hallways met and peered around the corner. There were another dozen creatures about a third of the way up, against a specific apartment door. He motioned for the team to back up to the stairwell door, and the quartet moved silently back, closing the door as quietly as possible behind them. That looks like fun, Dawson whispered. Mac shook his head. Looked like dozens of them in front of us. How did the side hallway look? Dozen, maybe a few more, Copeland replied. How do you want to tackle it, Sarge? Dawson asked. Copeland thought for a moment, putting a hand to his chin, and then noticed an evacuation map on the back of the stairwell door. It showed that the hallways connected to each other in a large square. He grinned and tapped the sheet. I say we hit and run, he said. Dawson, Mac, you two will be with me clearing the side hallway. Moss, you start picking off some from that main group. When they start coming our way, we backtrack down the hall until we pick them all off. Dawson cocked his head. And if there are more in the other hallways? Risk we're gonna have to take, Copeland admitted. Too many of them to fight if we're all just in the stairwell here. Mac chewed his lip for a moment. There going to be enough room in that hallway for the three of us to operate? He asked. That thing is tight. Gotta love these old buildings, fucking narrow passageways, Dawson muttered. It's gonna be close, but we can manage, the sergeant assured him. I'll take point and you two flank me on the walls. Just don't shoot me. Dawson nodded. I'm game. Then let's move, Copeland said and raised his rifle. They silently moved back into the hallway, taking a hard right turn at the crossway. He looked back to see Moss in position, and the private gave him a thumbs up to let him know that he was ready to rock. Copeland took aim at a zombie that was about 15 yards ahead of him taking a beat or two to make sure that his two companions had a target in their sights as well. When the first shot rung out, it echoed loudly, resonating against the brick facade. Every zombie within earshot stopped what it was focused on and whipped around, turning towards the sound in the darkness. 
the trio of soldiers began rapid firing, plucking corpse after corpse in the head and dropping them to the floor. As the horde thinned, the sergeant moved up, closer and closer to the door they clustered around. Meanwhile, Moss had opened fire on the massive horde in the main hall. He was able to hit a few in the head before the cluster started barreling towards him. He took careful aim, careful not to waste any shots, but began to move back as he fired as the zombies got too close for comfort. He glanced over his shoulder and noticed the others just finishing up with their own dozen down the side hallway. Copeland banged on the door that the zombies had revealed as they fell. There was no response. If anybody is alive in there, stay put, he barked loudly. We're military and we're here to help, but we got work to do first. Sergeant, Mac yelled, and Copeland turned to look. At the far end of the hallway, there were several zombies pouring around the side of it. Most of them were badly injured, grotesque creatures that looked like they'd been heavily fed on before reanimating. They dragged their chewed up limbs and screamed from mouths that were mostly bone and blood. You two help Moss, Copeland said, and stepped towards the new horde. He began firing, hitting the first two in the head at 30 yards. The creatures kept coming, flowing into the hallway, even at the slow, dragging pace. He was able to shoot several more, but they were steady, and when they were about 15 feet away, he turned to look at the rest of his men, still fighting a horde of their own. He grunted and changed tactics. He chose the zombie closest to him and began firing at the ones directly behind it. He dropped corpse after corpse, and then when the tall ghoul in a bloodied business suit reached him, he plugged it in the face and then lifted it up into the air by the collar and belt. He raised the body to chest level and then shoved it into the coming line of zombies. The creature was just tall enough to nearly block the entire hallway, though not effectively. Ghouls pressed up against the rotted barricade, reaching over it to slash wildly at the sergeant. They shrieked and gnashed in frustration, and he tried to keep his face well back from the groping hands. He struggled against the weight of the throng, but occasionally would pull back and use the dead businessman as a battering ram. The other three kept a constant fire rate, hitting zombie after zombie in their hallway. When it was down to just the last few, Dawson glanced over to see what Copeland was struggling with. Holy fuck, Sarge, he cried, and then smacked Mac on the shoulder. Quick, finish these fuckers off, we gotta move this way. The duo picked up the pace as Dawson rushed over to help his sergeant. As he got there, he fired on a blonde in yoga clothes, trying to push between the businessman's legs. Sarge, we're clear back here, let's move he called. Copeland nodded and gave one good heave, throwing the zombie like a sack of potatoes into the group. It didn't knock any of them down, but bought them enough time to retreat to the crossroads of the hallway. Mac, get to the other side and make sure we don't have any other surprises, the sergeant instructed as the last of the original horde fell. The newly formed trio began firing on the oncoming wave, slowing down the mass of rotted flesh at 30 yards. As bodies fell, Copeland glanced over his shoulder as Max swept the far hall, turning and giving him a thumbs up before heading back their way. The sergeant smacked Moss and Dawson on the shoulders. We're clear this way, he said. Let's get on the other side of these bodies to finish them off. They'll have a hard time navigating it. The two men nodded and headed up onto the carpet of corpses. They bided their time, waiting for the creatures to climb over their fallen brethren. One by one, 
The soldiers shot each of them down, until finally the hallway fell silent. Mac let out a deep whoosh of breath as he lowered his rifle. Man, that went a little haywire there. What are you talking about? Dawson grinned. That went just like we planned, just with a minor delay. Mac threw his hands up. Forty more zombies showing up wasn't in the plan, and sure as hell wasn't a minor delay. Still, the fallback method worked well, I think, Dawson insisted. Mac rubbed his temples and shook his head. Copeland smacked him on the shoulder. All right, boys, let's see who's still alive in here. He inclined his head. Dawson, you check the other apartment and bring anyone back here. Inside room 1218, the living room was a complete disaster. It was lit only by candlelight and the soldiers' flashlights as they calmed down the inhabitants inside. A shell-shocked young couple, an older gentleman and a woman in a business suit, sat on the couch, and the soldiers got them drinking water and eating some dry food from the supply bag. Mac and Moss headed into the bedroom to assist two middle-aged people who had fallen ill from living in filth and poor nutrition for two weeks. Found one more, Sarge, Dawson said, as he entered the apartment with a lone 20-something male following closely behind. Hiding out in that other apartment, Copeland nodded. And the rest of the floor? Nothing, Dawson replied. Nobody responded to knocks, so between that and the gunfire, either nobody is home or they're deaf. The woman in the business suit approached them, running her fingers through her dark, dingy hair as she brushed it behind her ears. Thank you so much for coming to our rescue. We haven't had food or good water in days. It's our pleasure, ma'am, Copeland replied. That's why we signed up to do this. Please, call me Martina, she said, waving her hands in front of her. Ma'am makes me feel old. The sergeant smiled. Okay, Martina, can you answer some questions for me? I can try, she shrugged. Do you know of any other survivors in the complex? He asked. She shook her head and motioned to the new guy. I'm sorry, we didn't even know that he was alive, and he was just down the hall from us. It was that bad here? Dawson asked. Martina nodded. We're lucky to be alive, she said. Frankly, it was dumb luck that any of us are here. She took a sip of her water. I was running a few minutes late to work and had a little too much fun the night before, if you know what I mean. She wiggled the water bottle as if it were a beer. I was riding the elevator down with Jerry over there, and as we got close to the lobby, we heard all sorts of commotion. We didn't know what was going on. It almost sounded like a riot. When the doors finally opened, several people shoved their way inside, screaming about closing the doors. Or just screaming, I got pushed to the back and could barely see out into the lobby, but it was more than enough. I saw blood, a couple of bodies, and then something I'll never be able to unsee. The receptionist, a pretty blonde girl who, she paused and swallowed hard. You know, I can't even remember her name. I lived here for two years, saw her every day, and just never bothered to learn her name. Hate to think what that makes me look like as a person. Anyway, I could see her struggling to get away from this rabid-looking man who had a hold of her arm. She was screaming and thrashing, trying to break free, but she couldn't. A moment later, two other of those things ran over and tackled her. The doors to the elevator shut just as one of them sunk their teeth into her neck. She shuddered, taking a deep breath. Everybody was in shock in the elevator, standing there silent. 
I don't even remember hitting the button to this floor, honestly. When they opened, we all kind of snapped back into reality. We heard a scream at the far end of the hallway, so I ran to my apartment and everyone followed me. We piled in here, barricaded the door, and have been here ever since. Copeland put a hand on her shoulder and looked into her eyes. I'm sorry that you had to go through that, he said gently. But you kept your head about you, and because of that, there are five other people who are alive. You did well, Martina. She smiled, even though her eyes were still sallow. Do you need anything else from me? No, we've got everything we need, he assured her. Thank you for your help. She nodded and headed back over to the couch, sitting down and accepting some kind of protein bar from Jerry. Dawson looked at his watch. We've got about three hours until our ride gets here, he said. What do you want to do, Sarge? Take Moss and do a sweep of the floors below us, Copeland instructed. I'll check out the two above us. If you find survivors, get them staged in a single apartment. If there's heavy resistance, mark it down, and we'll tackle it as a squad. Once we know what we're dealing with, we'll get everyone to the lobby to transport. Dawson nodded. I'll be in touch. He headed for the door, pausing at the bedroom to poke his head in. Moss, we got a job, let's go. His companion exited immediately, and the two men disappeared, leaving Copeland to stare out at the streets in the moonlight. Every once in a while, he'd catch a glimpse of movement, but it was impossible to tell how bad it really was out there. He shook his head. The moonlit city was deadly, but beautiful. Chapter Three Copeland did a lap around the living room, making sure that everyone was as comfortable as they could be and had everything they needed. The upper floors had been completely empty, but he hadn't heard from Dawson and Moss in an hour. After he finished giving Martina a reassuring shoulder squeeze, he headed into the bedroom. Sorry there, I know that stings, Max said gently, as he stitched up a pretty nasty forearm cut on the man lying on the bed. Won't be too bad from here on out. Copeland looked over his shoulder. How we looking in here? These two have had a rough go of it, Mac replied, as he tied off the thread from his stitches. But they're tough. He winked at the woman holding the man's hand, and she smiled in return. You gonna be able to make it to the lobby? The sergeant asked. The man raised his chin defiantly, and despite him getting on in years, there was determination in his eyes. Damn right we are, soldier boy. All right now, Copeland said with a chuckle, holding up his palms. That's the last time I doubt you. Mac clipped his thread and sat back from the bed. There you are, good as new. He smiled as the man pulled his sleeve down, and the two soldiers headed out of the bedroom and into the kitchen for some privacy. His bravado aside, can they move? The sergeant asked quietly. They might need some help on the stairs. Mac admitted, but they'll make it. Copeland checked his watch and then nodded. All right, make sure they're ready because it's an hour and 45 until pickup. Find anything upstairs? Mac asked. The sergeant shook his head. Nothing good. The pallor of his face told Mac not to press the issue as Copeland avoided his gaze. Hey, Sarge, come in. Dawson's voice broke the silence coming through the radio. The sergeant lifted it to his lips. There you are, Dawson, he greeted. Taking your sweet time, aren't you? Had a lot of floors to check out, the corporal replied, not sounding annoyed in the slightest. Any survivors? 
Copeland asked. About 15 or so on three of the floors, Dawson reported. But that's not why I'm calling. The sergeant sighed. Why does it feel like you're about to ruin my morning, he asked. You and Mac had better get down to the second floor, the corporal said firmly. We have a situation. Copeland took a deep breath. On our way. They turned to leave the kitchen, but Martina stood in the doorway. You're not leaving us, are you? She asked, eyes wide. Don't worry, Copeland said, offering a smile. We're just making sure the path to the lobby is clear. We have a ride coming at dawn to get you all out of here. Just sit tight and we'll be back. She nodded, shuffling out of the way so they could make it to the door. She held the knob for a few minutes and stared at them in the hallway, and then closed it behind them with a strange sort of finality. The soldiers headed down to the second floor at a brisk pace, where Dawson and Moss were waiting for them in the stairwell. How bad is it? Copeland asked. Dawson licked his lips and cocked his head. Depends on what you compare it to. He opened the door from the stairs, revealing a catwalk hallway over the lobby. As they headed out onto the platform, they looked down to see 15 or so zombies milling about the main area, barely paying any attention to the soldiers above. That doesn't look so bad, Max said with a shrug. Copeland smacked his shoulder and pointed. Guess you didn't see the front door. Max's eyes flicked to the double doors, which had been completely destroyed. Instead of a nice, safe barrier, there was a gaping hole where any number of zombies could wander through. And they weren't just broken, they were completely bent on their hinges, beyond repair. It's going to be really difficult to get people out this way, Dawson said. Mac rubbed his forehead. What about another exit? Still gonna have the same problem with zombies roaming free. The corporal replied, it's hard enough dealing with these things without having to worry about a civilian getting eaten. Copeland stared down at the lobby, focusing on a large round marble table in the center that was about seven feet wide. There's our answer. He pointed to it, and the soldiers turned to survey what he was looking at. Great, let's mow down these fuckers and get it moved. Moss raised his rifle. The sergeant shook his head. No guns, he said. We have no idea what's outside, and the last thing we want is a war in the lobby. We blade him and patch that door up. Dawson slung his rifle over his shoulder and drew his knife. You heard the man, he declared. Let's go cut him, motherfucker. The soldiers headed back to the stairwell, but Copeland stayed on the catwalk. Hey, Sarge, you coming? Mac asked. His superior turned and grinned at him. You get them headed your way. I'll drop in and say hello. Max smirked and gave him a little salute before disappearing into the stairwell. They quietly headed down to the first floor landing, did a silent countdown, and then flung open the door. As soon as it was open, Dawson dove out first, stabbing a corpse in the face to the right, and then gave a yell, attracting the attention of the rest of the lobby zombies. They moaned and shambled towards them, but from many directions, so it gave the soldiers lots of time to fan out, stab, and reset before reeling back to stab another. After they each dropped a few, the horde was starting to become thinner, with just eight or so remaining. Copeland hopped over the barricade and hung from his hands, dropping the remaining few feet to the lobby floor. As he hit the carpet, he drew his knife and strolled over to jam it into the back of a corpse's head. He quickly pulled it out and repeated the motion. 
The zombies hitting the carpet didn't make barely any noise, so the others were still fixated on the other three and moved towards them. Copeland easily took out half a dozen this way, and the other three dodged and taunted the rest, downing the last few zombies without an issue. Come on, we've got to get that table, Copeland said as the last corpse fell. They all rushed over to the large marble piece, a fantastic display for this high-end apartment complex, but even better as a barricade against the living dead. They strained to lift the heavy stone, even with the four of them, barely getting the legs off of the ground enough to move it without scraping against the ground. They shuffled slowly across the room, towards the busted doors, but as they got a few feet away, a zombie wandered inside. Watch it, Sarge, Mac warned. Copeland set down his corner and then spun, sliding his blade into the creature's eye socket. He caught the body on its way down and gave it a shove, so it was out of the way of their path. He picked up his corner again, and they finally got the behemoth table close to the hole. The sergeant skirted around to the back. Tilt it up and push, he instructed, and the quartet all braced themselves under the short edge and heaved up. They were able to get it up and up until it was slammed against the door hole like a tomb. The thick tabletop and stone legs braced it perfectly, creating a zombie-resistant barrier. I do believe this will work just fine, Dawson said, swiping his palms together. Good job. You boys start bringing people down, Copeland said. I'm gonna keep watch on this door and give the good captain a call. I'm sure he's anxious for an update. Dawson nodded and headed for the stairwell. We'll be down shortly. The sergeant waved and then picked up an overturned stool, setting it right and plonking himself down on it. He pulled out his radio and lifted it to his lips, turning the dial to the proper channel. Captain Kersey, this is Sergeant Copeland, he said. Do you copy? A few moments passed before there was a crackle, and the captain replied. Have a status update for me, Sergeant? Yes, sir, Copeland said. Mission was a success. 21 survivors, lobby is secure. We'll be ready to move within the hour. Excellent news, Kersey said, sounding happy for good reports. We're getting the trains in motion now, and I will keep you up to date on the progress. We'll be ready, sir, Copeland said. Good job, Sergeant, the captain commended. Kersey out. Copeland clipped his radio back to his belt and let out a deep breath, allowing himself a small smile at the solid work he and his men had done. Chapter Four Johnson lined up a shot on a zombie that struggled to stand on the backs of the corpses in front of it. He fired a precise shot just as the ghoul found its footing, blowing the back of its head clean out and sending it flying back to the ground with the others. He scanned the battlefield but didn't see anything else moving. I swear that blowing these heads apart never gets old, he declared. There was no answer, and he turned to look at Baker who was sound asleep, using a mostly depleted ammunition bag as a makeshift pillow. Johnson chuckled and walked over, giving his friend a gentle kick to the shin. Huh, what? Baker murmured, eyes flying open. He sat up and looked around, clearly disoriented. Yeah, I'm awake. Man, how in the hell are you able to sleep with all this gunfire going on? Johnson asked, waving his arm around his head. Baker shrugged. I've spent years listening to you, Yammeron, he replied as he stretched his shoulders. 
As a result, I can tune out anything. All right, I'll give you that one, Johnson replied. Did we win the fight? His friend asked, looking around some more. Johnson motioned to the interstate. Take a look for yourself. Baker grunted as he got to his feet and took in the sight as the sun just began to peek over the horizon. The scene was gruesome. Thousands of bodies lying in the road, mangled and mostly without heads. The carpet of corpses stretched back a few hundred yards, at least three deep. The bulk was on the north side, with only a few hundred or so having made it across the concrete barrier to the south side. That is some wholesale slaughter, Baker said, and let out a low whistle. Johnson nodded. You ain't joking. Maybe it's just my pre-coffee brain talking, but damn, did we really wipe out most of a small town last night? His friend asked and rubbed his eyes. Johnson pursed his lips for a moment, taking it all in. Yeah, I know. We'd usually reserve that shit for when we'd go on a bender. Baker grinned and then took a deep breath, clapping his hands together. So what's our next stop? Just up the road a few miles, his companion replied. Another bridge job outside of some shitburg suburb. Oh, goody, Baker said, rolling his eyes. Another full day of slaughtering thousands of those things. Johnson shook his head. Nah, this one shouldn't be too bad. We're just being a backstop for stragglers. Those reinforcement troops are the ones who are going to be going in. That's a nice change of pace, Baker admitted, scratching the back of his head. Usually the captain would have us right back into the thick of things. Before his companion could say anything, horns honked in the distance. They both turned as headlights lit up the road. Apparently he has some new troops he wants to put through the ringer, Johnson said. Baker raised a victorious fist in the air. Fine by me, they can have at it. Y'all hang tight, Johnson called, waving to his team standing on the barricades. This should be our ammo. The men all nodded or waved at him, and he led Baker to the edge of theirs to climb down. They moved cautiously through the zombie graveyard and hopped over the concrete barrier to the south side of the interstate to meet the vehicles. There was a caravan of five trucks and SUVs that moved up the shoulder of the highway to avoid the bulk of the corpses. They came to a stop, and some men jumped down, approaching the two soldiers. Is one of you Johnson? The lead man asked. The private held up his hand. Yeah, I'm Johnson, and this is Baker. Who are you? Corporal Herrera, the man replied, holding out his hand to shake. Captain Kersey sent me up here with a care package for you boys. He looked over the battlefield after shaking hands, eyes impressed at the thousands of rotting corpses in the street. Looks like y'all had a hell of a night. Wasn't too bad, Johnson replied with a grin. Just a never-ending stream of target practice. Baker shrugged. Only a few of them even got within ten yards of the trucks. Sounds like y'all had it better than we did, Herrera said, crossing his arms. Johnson raised an eyebrow. You one of the street cleaners? The corporal shook his head. We were on the bridge. There was a moment of silence, and the privates gave him a short nod. They'd heard about the issues with Gilbert and didn't want to dredge anything up. Well, we appreciate you coming out here to drop off some ammo for us, Johnson finally said. We kind of burned through a lot last night. Herrera motioned over his shoulder. Well, don't get too excited, because one of these truckloads is for us. 
Wait, you guys are the ones going to the super center? Johnson asked, blinking in surprise. The corporal nodded. Yep, he said flatly. Baker put a hand to his forehead. Man, you guys just can't catch a break, can you? Victim of our own success, Herrera said. Baker barked a laugh. It's fun, ain't it? That's one way to put it, the corporal replied dryly. Well, come on, Johnson said, motioning with his thumb. We'll show you to your truck so we can hit the road. I'm afraid we're gonna need about 20 minutes before we can do that, Herrera said, holding up a hand. Johnson's brow furrowed. What for? That last truck has a metal cutting torch in it, the corporal explained. We need to cut an escape hatch in the back of those trucks. Pretty sure where we're going, there isn't going to be time to unload properly. The private nodded. All right, let's make it happen then. He turned and whistled to the men over in the southbound lanes. Let's get these things out of the way. Chapter five. Herrera drove the first two trucks under the bridge before they interchanged just outside of town. Johnson and his team stopped the next four under it, parking at an angle to cover the most ground. The caravan of trucks and SUVs with ammo followed behind them, two breaking off and taking the exit to the bridge. As they got to the top of it, there were a few zombies milling about, but nothing too dense. One of the vehicles stopped at the near side of the bridge, and the other drove slowly across it. They pulled up to each zombie, rolling down the window to fire a quick shot into the corpse's head before moving to the next one. With no groups, it was quick and easy to dispatch them like this. On the far side, the SUV stopped, and several troops jumped out to take up positions, looking out over the interstate. There was, miraculously, no movement as far as the eye could see. Herrera's trucks stopped, and Johnson and Baker got out of theirs, heading over together. You know where you boys are headed? Johnson asked. The corporal nodded. A few exits up, then south a few blocks. If you say so, Johnson chuckled. They didn't tell us shit. Herrera barked a laugh. Guess we're calling someone else if we need a rescue. If you wouldn't mind, Johnson continued, leaning on the truck casually. Could you do me a favor? The corporal shrugged. If I can. When you hit the next exit, will you give me a shout and let me know how your commute went? Johnson asked, motioning with his hand to their route. Always like to stay up to date on the latest zombie traffic. Herrera nodded. Sure thing, he said. Hang out in the truck cab and I'll hit you up on channel 12 on the CB. Appreciate it, Johnson grinned. Now you boys be safe. The corporal shook his head and barked another laugh as he clambered back up into his seat. Yeah, no promises there. He waved and then popped the truck into gear leading his two-truck team towards their destination. They rumbled down the interstate, and there wasn't a lot of zombie traffic, just a few roaming about, and not much aside from a handful of cars wrecked on the side of the road. Herrera drove at a modest 30 miles per hour, worried that hitting a bump would send his men in the back flying up to the ceiling. He reached the exit and slowed down, making the turn. As he got to the top, he pulled the CB from its holster. Hey, Johnson, you read me? He asked. The private came back almost immediately. Yeah, come on back there, good buddy, he declared. Not much in the way of traffic, Herrera reported. You boys should have smooth sailing today. 
10-4, Johnson came back. But I have to admit, those sound like famous last words. In that case, I got a favor to ask of you now, the corporal said. Something goes wrong today. It's your job to make sure my last words are something more badass than that. Johnson laughed. You got it, buddy. Be safe. Herrera replaced the CB to its holder as he headed into a residential neighborhood. The noise from their engines attracted dozens of zombies that quickly flooded the previously quiet street. He kept up a brisk pace, not wanting to run the risk of being slowed by a horde if they showed up in front of him. He got to the main turnoff and made a sharp right, and winced at the sound of some muffled yelling in the back. My bad, fellas, he muttered. My bad. He rumbled down the street, with hundreds of corpses coming out from every side street and yard. He sped up a little more, feeling the window of opportunity getting smaller with each creature that staggered into view. Zombies began to lunge towards the vehicle, only to bounce off of it. One reached out with its hand, only to have it ripped clean off by the front grill. The two stores were a block ahead on the right, one on either side of the intersection. Herrera pulled the CB back and changed the channel. Okay, I'm taking the first one, he said. You guys set up across the street. On it, came the reply from the other truck. The corporal turned into the parking lot and noted it was sparsely populated, for now. There were only a few dozen roaming around, spread thin across the large area. There was even one attempting to push a shopping cart, with a cluster of them tangled in a series of carts in the return set up in the middle of the lot. Herrera quickly drove around to the back, parallel parking against the building. He made sure to leave enough room to be able to pull back out after this particular mission was complete. He grabbed his rifle off of the passenger's seat and rolled down the window, climbing out to the roof. As he worked his way back to the container, a hand came up from the hole in the top. Gilbert grunted as he struggled to pull himself through the hole, so Herrera headed over and grabbed his arm to help him out. Little reckless there, don't you think? The private asked with a sour expression. Herrera glared at him. You're one to talk. With the ex-sergeant sufficiently subdued, the corporal laid down and stuck his arm down in the hole. Come on, let's get you boys out. Between the two of them, they helped the remaining five troops up onto the roof of the container. They also hauled up several duffel bags filled with ammunition. Once everyone was ready to go, they hopped over to the roof, which was only a few feet away, but several feet up. The troops hoisted each other by lacing their fingers together and giving a leg up. Herrera and Gilbert were the first two up top, and the corporal turned to help the next soldier up. Corporal, Gilbert said from behind him. Herrera ignored him, reaching down to grab an arm. Corporal! Gilbert snapped. You need to see this. Herrera sighed as he finished pulling the last man up and turned, heading over to the private who stood at the front edge of the roof. Yeah, what is it? He froze at Gilbert's side. In the time it had taken them to unload, the couple dozen zombies in the parking lot had exploded to several hundred, with a lot more coming up behind them. Jesus, he breathed. Gilbert rubbed his forehead. Looks like the captain's plan worked. Looks like we have a lot of targets to take out, Herrera said. The private sighed. Want me to get started? Have at it, the corporal said. Gilbert pulled out his rifle and took aim at one of the zombies in the cart return pen and fired. 
the creature slumped over into one of the carts, a rotted meal on wheels. One down, the private muttered. Thousands to go. He took aim and fired again, thinning another one from the herd. The troops joined him at the edge, fanning out in a line, taking a moment to gawk at the thickening horde as it began to cover the asphalt. Herrera joined them, taking a long look at the sight ahead. It was easily approaching a thousand zombies. He took aim and fired his first shot. This was going to be a long day. Chapter six. Bill gently applied the brakes, slowing the massive vehicle towing eight boxcars behind it. The few straggler zombies that had managed to wander onto the train bridge were obliterated upon impact, evaporating into a fine red mist. The screeching of metal on metal screamed out over downtown Spokane, and floods of creatures congregated below the bridge. As soon as the train lurched to a complete stop, Bill hit the button on his walkie-talkie. All right, vehicles, you are clear for departure, he said. Two boxcars in the back unlatched their giant doors, the sides falling down to the ground to create a ramp. A pair of giant armored personnel carriers rolled out onto the bridge, heading up the shoulder towards the east. The lead one hit a grassy knoll, rolling down it rapidly to the street. It picked up speed, plowing through dozens of zombies attracted by the noise of the train. The creatures easily bounced off of the armored vehicles, some crunching beneath the strong wheels. As they peeled off down the street, the zombies slowly lumbered after them, drawn towards the rumbling engines. The APCs stopped at the next intersection to give them time to catch up, and then turned towards the apartment pickup zone to keep the bait fresh. The apartment complex came into view, and the vehicle skidded to a stop out front. A giant marble table shoved out of the way, and Copeland headed out to meet them. The driver of the lead vehicle popped his head out of the window. Those things are a block behind us, headed our way. Then let's not waste any time getting them on board, Copeland replied, waving his hand. A few troops emerged from the back seats of the vehicles, running to the doors to assist people out through the jagged door hole. We'll handle it, Sergeant, the driver said with a firm nod. You do what you gotta do. Copeland nodded, and then slipped back inside, waving to his team. We're heading out the back, he said. Let's move. The quartet ran through the building, reaching the back exit quickly. They stopped, and Copeland peeked through a slit in the door, seeing the tail end of a zombie line moving past the alleyway and out of sight. They sat for a few seconds, and he peeked again, noting one of the last stragglers catching up to the pack. He pulled out his walkie-talkie as he gently closed the door. Captain, this is Sergeant Copeland, come in. A few moments passed before Kersey came back. What's your status, Sergeant? Civilians loaded up. My team is preparing to move, Copeland replied. My troops ready to rendezvous? The coast is clear, Kersey said. Just waiting on your order. Copeland nodded to his team. Okay, preparing to move the sergeant confirmed into the radio. What's the status on the Apache? In the air, just waiting on your signal, the captain confirmed. He will be patched into this channel, so call it when you need it. The sergeant nodded. Yes, sir, he said. Please send the other troops to the intersection now. They'll be there, Kersey assured him. Good luck, sergeant. Copeland put his walkie-talkie away and nodded to his men, 
who had their weapons checked and were ready to roll. They pushed through the back door silently, gently closing it behind them and stepping as lightly as they could to get to the edge of the building. Copeland peeked around the corner, noting that the last of the zombies were about 20 yards up the road, with none in the opposite direction. He lifted a hand and motioned for the trio to follow him, and they took off quickly through the street, down a block to the meeting point. As they approached the intersection, they kept their weapons at the ready, eyes all over, but there were no hostiles within range. Fifty men from the train moved quickly from the other side, stopping in the middle of the intersection. The sergeant raised a hand to get everyone's attention, and then began speaking quickly. Listen up, he said, keeping his voice level so they wouldn't attract attention, but everyone could hear him. Everybody on me, and stay on my ass. We're gonna be moving quickly. Nobody fires until we get to the bridge. Last ten soldiers across, turn and defend it with everything you got. But listen for that Apache. Rest of you clear the island. Now let's move. He didn't waste any time, turning on his heel and sprinting towards the bridge. His 53-man team followed suit, though a few struggled to keep up with the long strides of the giant sergeant. As they ran the four blocks to the bridge over the river, several dozen zombies began to emerge from the side streets and alleyways, attracted by the sound of so many stomping feet on pavement. They staggered towards the main road, but weren't fast enough to reach the troops tearing up the asphalt. As they approached the bridge, there were a dozen or so creatures milling about. They turned towards the horde of troops as their footsteps echoed towards them on the concrete and began to stagger towards their hopeful human buffet. Rather than stop and shoot, Copeland lowered his shoulder and slammed into the first one he came across, delivering a linebacker-type hit. The creature tumbled to the ground, the men behind the sergeant dodging it and leaping over it as it struggled to get back up. One of the last ten soldiers in the line paused briefly to shoot it point-blank, before turning around in a defensive position. The bulk of the group rushed across the bridge, knocking any straggling zombies left or right out of the way for the final men to deal with in their defense of the area. It didn't take long to get the whole force across to the other side, with the final ten men setting up their effective firing line, over top of scattered, unmoving, dispatched undead. As they took position, most of them blinked with eyes as wide as saucers at the several hundred zombies coming out of the woodwork to their location. One soldier began to fire, and then the rest shook out of their momentary reverie of fear to join them. Unlike the sharpshooters, however, Many bullets hit torsos or even air, going high. The number of missed shots increased as the horde moved across the bridge, some of the men panic-firing against the overwhelming force of nature headed their way. The men behind them scattered across the large open field that held a couple hundred zombies scattered about. Bullets flew as teams of five broke away and fanned out, systematically taking the corpses down. Two teams of five rushed off to the other two bridges, jutting out on the other side, to hopefully cut off other hordes from joining in the fight. Copeland led his team of four towards the pavilion to make sure there wasn't a threat there as well. He kept his assault rifle raised and drew his walkie-talkie, mashing the button. Apache, 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 he demanded. There was a crackle as the pilot replied, inbound. The sergeant clipped his radio back to his belt, and gripped his rifle properly with two hands again as they reached the pavilion. It was a huge facility that could hold hundreds of people, 
and even more zombies who didn't care about personal space or fire codes. Copeland's biggest fear was that someone would have thought it would be a good place for civilians to hide, only for it to go horribly bad. Clearing an island of zombies with 50 men would be hard enough without an undead convention in the middle of it. They rushed the bank of glass doors, a fair amount of movement inside. The sergeant muttered obscenities under his breath and picked up the pace. This could be fucking bad, he grunted as he pumped his legs. He knew they wouldn't be able to fire in that direction without risking shattering the glass, which would free God only knew how many creatures from within. Within ten yards of the doors, he noted that the ones in the middle were unlocked and a few zombies were pressing against it. One of them managed to push against the latch bar and it began to open. I got the doors, Copeland screamed and barreled through a duo of corpses right next to the glass, slamming himself against the doors. He dug in his heels, pressing his forearms against the frames, holding the doors shut while simultaneously giving all of the corpses inside something to look for. The two zombies he blasted through regained their footing and took a step in his direction, but Dawson and Mac were on them instantly, shoving them to the ground and firing into their foreheads at point-blank range. We need to secure these doors, Copeland bellowed, the effort of holding them shut beginning to show on his face as his forehead broke out in sweat. With nothing in the immediate vicinity that could help, Dawson pulled a handful of zip ties from one of his utility pockets. They were usually for securing prisoners, but he hoped they'd be enough to hold the door handles, at least for a little while. He looped five of them around the handles, which allowed the sergeant to let off a little. Copeland slid down to the ground, letting out a deep breath as he relaxed. Moss and Mac jogged around the pavilion building, making sure the rest of the doors were locked up tight. I think that'll hold, Dawson said as the others returned. Copeland nodded and huffed. Long enough to get someone to watch them. All locked up on this side, Sarge, Mac reported. Moss motioned with his gun. Same on this side. Dawson extended his hand to help Copeland to a standing, just as four troops came over the hill, forging into a group of zombies. After dropping the last few, they turned towards the quartet. You okay, Sergeant? One of them asked. Copeland nodded. Yeah, I'm good, he said, and pointed over his shoulder with his thumb. But I need you to watch this door. They inspected the makeshift zip-tie lock, and two of the soldiers immediately moved to put pressure on the doors to help hold them shut. The soldier who'd spoken turned and saluted his superior. We'll take care of it, Sergeant, he said. Thank you, Copeland replied, and led his team out from the shadow of the pavilion. He looked out over the battlefield, over small squads of men moving around with purpose, executing every zombie they saw. Screams and the staccato of panic fire suddenly broke out, and the quartet turned in the direction of the bridge they'd come in on. The horde that had followed them was over a thousand strong at this point, and closing in on the edge of the island. The firing line of men began taking steps backwards to try to keep a safe distance. Shit, they're going to be overrun. Dawson blurted and raised his weapon, but before he could even move, the sound of helicopter blades echoed in the air, getting closer and closer. Copeland looked up, and the giant Apache gunship approached from the east. A second after he spotted it, he honed in on the missiles dropping from the sides. Incoming, he screamed, and the missiles whistled as they flew. Most of the bridge troops in the firing line began to fall back, 
but a few were so caught up in their fight that they didn't register the noise. The sergeant watched helplessly as a missile hit the bridge, sending a massive fireball 30 feet into the air, bodies of undead raining down into the river and the island grass. The men that didn't get out of the way were knocked back, one of them catching a large piece of shrapnel in his shoulder, piercing through his vest like butter. As the smoke cleared, several zombies emerged from it, excitedly pursuing the dazed soldiers who'd been closest to the blast. Dawson and Copeland rushed forward, opening fire on the staggering ghouls, hoping to draw the attention of other soldiers nearby to help. Their bullets mostly hit torsos instead of heads, but at least the impacts helped slow the ghouls long enough for the men on the ground to gather their wits and start helping in their own defense. One zombie reached the man with the shrapnel, and Copeland watched helplessly as the man kicked it off, slowing it just enough for one of his comrades to shoot it in the face. He finally got within range to accurately fire shots, clearing out the last remaining stragglers who'd made it on this side of the bridge. Mac, go see if anybody needs medical attention, Copeland said as he surveyed the area, the immediate threat eliminated. Mac waved to his companion. Come on, Moss, I can use a hand. Moss glanced to the sergeant, who gave him a nod, and the two men rushed out to check the fallen. As they went, explosions racked the air as the Apache took out the other bridges on the other side of the island. Dawson let out a long, ragged breath. Looks like we're officially cut off from the outside world. Copeland offered him a big smile and clapped him on the shoulder. Come on, Corporal, let's go help pick off the stragglers, he said. This island is ours. Chapter 7 Johnson and Baker walked across the bridge just outside of Veradale, enjoying the closest thing to a day off they'd had and probably would have for quite some time. As they walked, there was a random shot from one of the troops on the bridge, taking out a creature that had wandered out onto the interstate. This, Baker began, stretching his arms above his head and reveling in the crackle of his spine. This is spectacular, ain't it? Johnson grinned. Man, you ain't kidding, he agreed. No trying to catch a nap in the boxcar of a moving train. No fighting off small town quarterbacks turned homicidal psychopaths. No hordes of the undead trying to make us dinner. Just a lovely stroll in the sunlight while others do the heavy lifting. They both closed their eyes, turning their faces up to the warm sun. A train horn blared in the distance, cutting into their happy reverie. Well, Baker sighed, shoulders slumping. That didn't last long. Guess we should go greet them, huh? Johnson asked, motioning to the tracks just north of the river. His companion extended a hand and hung his head. If you insist. Johnson approached one of the troops keeping watch on the interstate. We gotta go meet up with the reinforcements, he said. You got everything under control? The soldier didn't even look up from his scope as he gave a thumbs up. Johnson patted him on the back, satisfied with their dedication, and he and his partner headed off towards the train. The bridge over the river was about a block away, so the duo walked down the center of the street with their fingers on the trigger, just in case. Have you heard how the rest of the operation is going? Baker asked. Johnson shook his head. Captain was pretty mum on that, he shrugged. Although I'm pretty sure if anything went horribly wrong, he'd tell us. He's not the type to hide the fact that we're fucked. That's true, Baker agreed. 
He typically relishes the idea of being horribly outnumbered and outgunned. His companion barked a laugh. Well, we're sure as shit outnumbered today, he pointed out. Pretty sure we have the gun advantage, though. We'd better hope so, Baker replied. The two men went quiet, each imagining zombies armed to the teeth and shuddered. They came to the bridge and made their way across the river, heading straight for the tracks where the engine was parked, having just come to a standstill. I wonder if this is Bill's ride or not, Johnson said. To their surprise, Brett's emerged from the cab and waved at them. Guess not, Baker said, furrowing his brow. The corporal grinned as they approached. What do you say, boys? Corporal, what you doing riding the rails? Johnson asked, motioning wildly to the train. I thought you were on a river cruise. Bretts hopped down and shook each of their hands in turn. Eh, you know, long story involving a crazed chopper pilot from Nam, an apartment building full of survivors, and a new mission that made me wish I had just stayed at the airport like I was originally ordered to. That good of a mission, huh? Johnson winced. Bretts shook his head, holding his hands out, palms up. Yeah, me and 50 guys are plugging up the only bridge in the West that goes over the river. It ain't no big deal, Baker replied with a reassuring smile. We did the same thing last night. Just get you a few transport trucks and you'll be good to go. All we have is an apartment complex with a handful of cars, the corporal replied with a grimace. The duo stared at him and blinked. Yeah, Johnson coughed. Good luck with that. Bratz wrinkled his nose. Thanks for the vote of confidence. Baker glanced at the train as troops began to unload from the boxcars. Looking a little short on men here, Corporal, he said. You sure this is everybody? The captain said the team that was following you into Post Falls is still clearing out the town, Bretz explained. Said they're making good progress and should be here in an hour or so. Baker nodded. Gotcha. So what in the hell are we supposed to do with this lot? Johnson asked raising an eyebrow. They have their orders, the corporal replied. All you gotta do is lead them down to the town and point them in the right direction. Baker snorted. Hell, even Johnson here can handle that. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Johnson gaped at his companion. Baker grinned, showing all of his teeth. It means it's a task that's so simple that even you can't fuck it up. The corporal chuckled. That sounds like a challenge. Please don't give him any ideas, Baker said, putting up a hand. We don't have enough action at our position for me to ignore him once he starts whining. The men shared another chuckle until the engineer headed out of the cab, leaning on the railing and looking down at them. Sorry for interrupting, Corporal, but just got word from the back that the troops are unloaded, he said, pointing to the boxcars. We're ready to go when you are, Bretz nodded. Appreciate it he said, and then turned to his friends. Guess that's my signal, fellas. Be safe out there, Bretts, Johnson said, and clapped the corporal on the shoulder. Yeah, don't go dying on us now, Baker added. Taking your spot doesn't come with a pay raise anymore. Would hate to do extra work for free. Bretts barked a laugh, and then climbed back up onto the engine car. See you on the other side, boys. He waved and headed inside as the train sprung to life beginning to move forward. The troops all stepped back as the train headed off, and once it was clear, the two men turned to look at the thousand or so troops now at their disposal. Baker held out an arm and bowed. Have at it, big fella. 
Johnson grinned and took a step forward, taking a deep breath. All right, everybody listen the fuck up, he bellowed. I'm Corporal Johnson, and this is Corporal Baker, and y'all are gonna follow us to the front lines of this battle, so get your shit and get a move on, cause we're going on a little hike. Chapter Eight Herrera took aim at the sea of zombies in front of the super center, their new residence, it seemed. A few hours had passed since they'd arrived, and it had been nonstop firing from the seven men up top. But with every ghoul that dropped, five more crowded over it in a never-ending sea of death. Christ, we've been shooting half the damn day, and it doesn't even look like we've hit anything, Gilbert complained, lowering his weapon with a groan. The corporal narrowed his eyes. You keep firing and maybe that'll change, he said icily. Snap at me all you like, but I'm just stating a fact, the ex-sergeant muttered. Herrera lowered his weapon and turned to Gilbert, eyes ablaze. It's a fact that we can all plainly see, he snarled as he glared down at his companion. We don't need your whining or commentary, so shut the fuck up and do your job. Or do I need to follow my orders? The threat of Kersey's order to execute him subdued the private, and he clenched his teeth so hard they clicked as he raised his gun again, continuing to fire. Herrera left the line and headed back to the supplies, reaching into one of the bags to pull out a bottle of water. It wasn't a particularly hot day, but standing in the sun firing for hours on end was draining. As he swished the lukewarm water around in his mouth, he caught on to muffled gunshots that sounded different than their own. Cease fire, he barked, holding up a hand. Cease fire. The men complied, except for Gilbert, who fired off one extra shot before sneering at his superior. Herrera glared at him, and the private exaggerated letting go of the trigger, holding his hands above his head and letting his gun dangle from its strap. In the sudden quiet, they heard a few more muffled shots. Where is that coming from, Herrera asked. One of the soldiers furrowed his brow. It's too loud to be in the distance. Gilbert headed over to the edge of the store and looked down. Corporal, I think I have your answer. Everyone moved to the edge and looked down. The ghouls directly below them had found their way into the store, the front glass windows shattering under the pressure of the horde. The shots were clearer now through the busted windows. Fuck, there are survivors in the store. Herrera breathed. Gilbert shrugged. Doesn't look like for long, though, he retorted. The corporal whipped around and glared at him. Well, we're going to fix that. He looked around the roof frantically. Everyone, look for a hatch. Over here, one of the soldiers called and jogged off towards a large square door. This should be it, Herrera confirmed as he reached it. Help me get it open. A third soldier joined them, and they pried it open together. It was old and a bit on the rusted side, apparently unused for a long time. Corporal, our orders are to hold this position and keep the enemy occupied, Gilbert said, bouncing on his heels a bit. Herrera swiped his hands against each other. Our orders also include saving civilians, especially from a fuck-up we created, he pointed out. But one more word out of you and you're coming with me. The corporal snapped, and Gilbert's mouth clicked shut. Sir, the ladder is rusted out, one of the soldiers said as he surveyed the hole. That's a good ten foot drop to the shelves there, and not really much of a way to get back up. 
Herrera took a deep breath. Let's worry about getting down there first. He studied the shelving unit, noting it was about three feet wide and flat on the top. It appeared quite sturdy, made of thick metal, much like the metal inside of the hatch compartment. If I can get to that ledge there, I can drop the rest of the way no problem, he said, pointing. Do you think you can lower me down far enough? Let's do it, the soldier said, and held out a hand. His partner joined him, and each of them took one of Herrera's hands, slowly kneeling to help the corporal descend into the store. He let go of one of the soldiers to grab the ledge, yanking on it once to test it. Okay, I'm good, he said, and the soldier let go. The corporal gripped the ledge, securing himself and dangling still four feet above his target. He took a deep breath and swallowed before letting go, hitting the top of the unit hard and nearly tumbling off of it. He dropped to one knee and grabbed the sides of the shelf, making sure that everything was going to stay upright. A shot rang out in the store a few aisles over, and he looked around. There were several dozen rows of shelves that went from one end of the store to the other, with six-foot gaps in between. He got up onto his feet, shaking the metal of it to make sure that the shelf was good and secured to the ground. He crouched and sprung, leaping across to the next shelf and the next, landing safely and catching a glimpse of the civilians. It was a young couple, maybe in their early 20s, both of them holding handguns and firing towards the horde coming straight down the aisle at them. The creatures were closing in fast, and Herrera pulled his rifle from his back and began firing precise shots to drop zombies in the front row. Climb up here now, he barked. We'll get you out. The couple didn't waste any time rushing towards him, throwing merchandise onto the floor to use the shelves as ladders to get up. The corporal let go of his gun when they were halfway up and pulled them up the rest of the way. As soon as they were clear and safe, there was more gunfire halfway across the store. Please help our friends, the girl pleaded, grabbing Herrera's arm. He cocked his head to get a read on where the gunfire was coming from and nodded. You two stay here and don't move until I get back. They nodded, holding on to each other in a scared clump, and the corporal began his leaping game again. He moved gracefully atop the stacks, the gunfire intensifying from about six rows over. As he cleared the last aisle, a gun clicked empty, followed by panicked screaming. He tore up the shelves, but all he could see was a group of zombies clustered around one area. One stood up at the sound of his boots, an arm firmly in its mouth. Another ghoul wrenched the arm free and tore a strip off of it, and Herrera yelled, unloading the remainder of his magazine into the horde. Within a matter of seconds, almost a dozen zombies lay on the tile floor with bullet wounds to the head. The corporal took a deep, steadying breath, closing his eyes for a moment to try to squash the guilt at the mission he'd led, getting innocent civilians killed. He hadn't thought to check inside for survivors, and that mistake had cost lives. He took another breath and then froze. Psst, psst, somebody hissed, and he turned to see a young man of maybe 17 who had shimmied up a large shoe display in the middle of the main aisle. There were about 20 creatures milling about below him, and his eyes pleaded with Herrera for help. Listen carefully, the corporal said as he reloaded his gun. I'm going to clear you a path from your position to mine. When I tell you, I want you to jump down and run like hell to me. Can you do that? The boy nodded jerkily and gave the soldier a thumbs up. 
Herrera took aim at the zombie closest to the display, then mentally picked out his next few targets close by, knowing he'd have to think quickly once the firing began. He took a more concentrated breath this time, and then unleashed fury on the undead. The first shot knocked the zombie back, crumpling to the ground, and then three more quick shots found their targets, corpses flying into displays. There was a narrow pathway to his position, but the zombies turned to approach him at the noise. Move, now, he screamed, and the kid leapt from the display. He hit the floor hard on his feet and stumbled forward, skidding on his knees and scrambling back up. Herrera shot a zombie that dove for him, saving him from certain death, and the boy sprinted past outstretched hands, launching himself up the shelves. The corporal hit the deck, laying down and throwing his arm down to grab the kid, jerking him up to safety. They both sat there for a moment, chests heaving, as the zombies clustered below, moaning their disappointment at a missed meal. Thank you so much for saving me, the boy huffed, eyes wide. I thought I was toast. My pleasure, Herrera replied with a reassuring smile. I picked up a couple of your friends, too. He pointed over to the young couple, still clutching each other, who waved back at them. What about my other friends? The young man asked, chewing his lower lip. Herrera clenched his jaw and then closed his eyes, shaking his head. The young man let out a whoosh of breath and then said hoarsely, I'm sure you did your best. The corporal didn't respond. He didn't know how to respond. It was his fault that this kid's friends were dead. After a few moments of awkward silence, the young man looked around, really getting his bearings. So, he began shakily. How exactly are we getting out of here? Gotta get to the roof, Herrera replied, pointing up. The kid raised his eyebrows. So what, we're flying? Need to make a pit stop by the hardware section first, the corporal explained. Gotta borrow us a ladder. The kid looked confused for a moment, and then his face fell. Do I wanna know? Herrera asked at the melancholy expression. The young man waved for him to follow, and a few minutes later, they stood on the final shelving unit, looking towards the hardware section. It was a good 10-foot run to the area, with the ladders hanging on the back wall an additional 10 feet beyond that. Herrera studied the situation, noting only four or five zombies between him and the ladders. He weighed his options. He knew that as soon as he started firing, there would be dozens, if not hundreds of them, on him quickly. But he had to think fast, because just the noise of them jumping from shelf to shelf would have attracted some ghouls. He slung his rifle over his shoulder and drew his handgun, turning around to climb down. What are you doing? The kid hissed. Are you crazy? Herrera kept his voice low. It's either this or we die in here, he said. Now stay here and be quiet. The young man nodded, eyes wide as saucers, and crouched down, holding his knees with nervousness as Herrera hit the floor. As his boots hit the tiles, the zombie closest to him turned and locked her roomy eyes on him. It was a poor young woman, still in her work uniform, and he delivered a forceful two-handed palm strike to her torso. She went flying back, hitting the ground. Herrera wasted no time leaping past her and dodging the creatures as he sprinted over to the ladders. He pulled a nice silver metal 12-footer off of the rack and shoved his arm through an opening so it could rest easily on his shoulder. 
one of the zombies came around the edge of a shelf and into his aisle. With physical strikes no longer a possibility due to the cumbersome nature of his cargo, he aimed with his handgun instead, hitting the corpse in the forehead. As the creature crumpled to the floor, another came around the corner, and the corporal fired again. The aim was a bit off, hitting the creature in the mouth and shattering the rotted teeth there, so he quickly fired again, this time finding the brain. Out of the corner of his eye, Herrera could see the kid up top waving frantically for him to hurry up. He began running, pausing to fire twice and take out two zombies within five yards of him. He rushed the shelving unit and reached it, but there were dozens of creatures emerging from the front of the store, moving quickly. He set the ladder against the shelf and clambered up as fast as he could. As soon as he was clear, he and the kid yanked the ladder up just as the horde reached it. Herrera propped it up across the aisle, making a bridge across to the next shelf. Piece of cake, he declared. Safer than jumping, don't you think? The kid smiled and nodded. Come on, the corporal said. Let's get the fuck out of here. Chapter 9 Kersey took a long sip of coffee while David and his team monitored the action. One of the soldiers ended a long conversation he'd been having and typed for a time before sending some data over to the main screen. Captain, got an update for you, David said. Kersey carried his mug over to the three-monitor station. What you got for me? Brett's dropped off the main force at Johnson's barricade about an hour ago, David replied. They've started clearing out the Veradale suburb, but it's slow going. Apparently, they are meeting heavy resistance. The captain furrowed his brow. Was Herrera not successful in drawing them away from the front lines? David typed away for a moment and pulled up a drone image. The shot was from high up, around 400 feet, showing a huge residential area with the bright white roofs of the giant supercenters in the distance. Before those, however, was a huge, dark mass of rotted flesh. This was taken about 20 minutes ago when they were doing the initial survey of the area, he explained. It's hard to see from this angle, but if you focus on this area, there appears to be thousands of those things at the supercenter. So Herrera was successful, just not successful enough. Kersey sighed, massaging the side of his face as he stared at the photo. Looks like we greatly underestimated the resistance in this area. Could have been people trying to evacuate the city and only made it this far, David mused with a shrug. The captain licked his lips and shook his head. Whatever the reason, we're dealing with it now. He took a deep breath. If they need more time on the ground, that's fine. I'd rather tell the general we're taking an extra day, rather than telling him we lost half the force. I'll make sure the order is passed down. David confirmed, and typed into a small messenger box on one of his screens. Kersey took a sip of coffee while he waited. How's the island looking? He asked when the lanky man returned to the main screen. Give me a moment and I'll get Sergeant Copeland on the line, David replied. The captain nodded. Thank you. He headed over to the other soldiers as he waited for David to work, peering over his shoulder at the map of Veradale. It was updating to show that the force had only moved a few blocks. There were a few red dots scattered about. What are those? He asked, leaning over and pointing to the dots. The soldier inclined his head. Zombie clusters, he replied. 
Whenever we identify a group of more than a hundred on the drone footage, we mark it so our troops aren't surprised. Kersey let out a long, low whistle. Settle in, he said. Looks like it's going to be a long day. Yes, sir, the soldier replied. I have Sergeant Copeland for you, David piped up and swiveled on his chair, holding out a headset. Sergeant, give me some good news, Kersey pleaded as he slipped the headset on. With pleasure, Captain, Copeland replied, a jaunt in his tone. We have the island secure. There are still a couple hundred zombies in the pavilion, but we have it locked up tight and we'll be dealing with it methodically. We have fire teams on the north and south banks lighting those suckers up. Kersey raised a fist. Drawing a crowd? Oh, yes, sir, Copeland confirmed. Just from my vantage point, I can see a thousand of those things lined up on the banks of the river. A few have even tried to walk across it, but they're downriver somewhere now. The captain grinned. Given the stench on those things, a bath might do them some good. With you on that one, sir, the sergeant replied with a chuckle. Benny has a couple more drops to do, Kersey said. But once he's done, I'll have him drop some supplies to you. We're running a bit behind schedule with the Eastern Assault, so you might be there a couple of days. Copeland clucked his tongue. We will happily camp out under the stars, sir, he declared. Kersey laughed. I'll do my best to get the raw materials for s'mores, then. I appreciate the sentiment, sir, Copeland replied, amusement in his tone. Keep up the good work, Sergeant, the captain said sincerely. I'll let you know when we have incoming. He pulled the microphone aside and leaned over to David. David, can you get me Kowalski? His companion punched his keyboard for a moment, and then pointed back at Kersey to let him know that he had him on the line. The captain gave him a thumbs up before asking, Kowalski, how's your sniper's nest? It's beautiful, sir, the sniper replied. We're having a bit of fun up here to see who can make the longest shot. Kersey laughed. If you don't win that, you're out of my unit, he said playfully. You know I'd never let you down, sir, Kowalski came back. The captain sobered, taking a sip of his coffee. So what can you tell me, he asked. The city is jam-packed with those fuckers, the sniper replied. There's a line about 50 deep to get to the riverfront. We're trying to thin them out from our position, but we might as well be shoveling sand in a hurricane. Kersey shook his head. Have you been able to spot any more survivors, he asked. Just a handful, Kowalski replied. They heard all the gunfire and started waving a flag from their building a few blocks away. I let the APC retrieval team know. The captain nodded. Sounds good, he said. And just to keep you in the loop, we're behind on pushing westward, so you need to get comfortable. Oh, darn, Kowalski replied, sarcasm evident in his tone. I get to spend another day shooting zombies from afar. However, will I survive? Kersey chuckled. I'm sure you'll figure out something. No doubt, Captain, the sniper replied, and his friend could almost hear the grin in his voice. Benny is going to be making supply drops later today, so submit a wish list when you get a chance, Kersey instructed. 10-4, Cap, Kowalski said. The captain pulled off the headset and held it out to David. Anybody heard from the airport lately? The soldiers shook their heads, but David took the headset and turned to his keyboard. I'll see what I can get he said, and typed away. Finally, he handed back the headset, declaring, I got Corporal Hansen for you. Corporal, status report, Kersey said, as he situated the headset back on. 
We're developing quite the little community of survivors out here, Captain, Hansen replied. Those APC boys really bringing them in. Think we have about 30 civilians with more on the way. Kersey nodded. Any resistance? He asked. The occasional straggler that follows them in, the corporal replied. But they're usually picked off before they even hit the runway. The captain nodded his appreciation. Anything you need from me, corporal? He asked and took a sip of coffee. Benny is going to be heading back that way eventually to refuel. We're good, thank you, Hansen assured him. We have food, meds, and plenty of room to stretch out. Unless you got someone who can fix the satellite TV, we have what we need. Kersey laughed. If I do find that guy, we got dibs here first. Perks of being higher ranked, I suppose, Hansen replied with an exaggerated sigh. The captain chuckled. You know it, corporal, he replied playfully. We'll be in touch. He removed the headset and handed it back to David, taking a more relaxed position, leaning against the table beside him. Outside of the Eastern Front delay, I'd say we're moving along pretty well, David mused. Kersey nodded. I tend to agree. Sir, I just got word from Corporal Bretz, one of the soldiers piped up. Their train has reached the target and they are preparing to launch their assault. The captain nodded. Monitor the situation and keep me posted on updates. Yes, sir, the soldier replied. Kersey lifted his mug to his lips and then frowned when he found it empty. Gonna need a lot more of this before the day is out. He sighed and headed out for a refill. Chapter 10 Bretz led his force of 50 up to the tree line across from the apartment complex. He took out his binoculars and looked over the building, finding a few dozen zombies between them and the target. There were also several vehicles parked around the lot. How far up is the bridge from here? He asked. Corporal McGee, a short but muscular man in his early 40s, pulled out his map. It's just around that band, no more than a quarter mile to the start of it, he reported. Okay, we're going to make some noise getting these cars, Brett said. If there are that many zombies just hanging out in the road, you can bet there are even more hiding from us. He studied the lot more, counting ten vehicles. Barber, Cross, you two are my hotwire guys, yes? The two mid-thirties privates nodded in unison beside him. Perfect, Brett said. Corporal, I need you to break off ten men in addition to these two. They're going to be my drivers. I want you to take the rest and get up to the bridge and evaluate the situation. McGee nodded. Do you want a firing line? He asked. Just get prepped, Brett said, shaking his head. If there are cars on the bridge, push them to the other side as best you can. If there are hostiles, silence is best. There are tens of thousands of those things on the other side of that bridge, and I'd rather them not know we're here until we're ready. No argument from me, McGee replied, and turned to point at several troops, picking out a team to go to the parking lot. Bretz nodded once he was finished. All right, let's get it done, he said, and the group split. He led his group of 12 towards the apartments, approaching the roadway. He pulled his knife, prompting several others to do the same, and as they came across the first few zombies on the street, they dispatched them silently. Bretz motioned for them to move up, and they repeated the process as they made the several-block run to the apartments, easily handling the few dozen creatures they encountered along the way, spread out and slow to react. 
As they got to the entrance of the complex, they took up position around the front gates, which had been left permanently open. Bretz began pointing to the troops as he spoke in quiet hisses. You two with Barber, he said. You two with Cross. Watch their backs as they get the cars running. As soon as they're hot, you head off to the bridge. The rest of us are going to circle the complex to make sure we don't get any surprises. Barber, Cross, if we're not back by the time you run out of drivers, you wait. For at least the next 20 minutes, you two are the most important members of this team. Questions? There was not a sound amongst the group. Then let's move, Bretz confirmed, and headed through the gates, running left along the main part of the driveway. There were a few zombies near the first few sedans, and the soldiers flanking the hotwire team rushed up and took them out with quick jabs to the head. Barbara tried the door handle on the first car, but it was locked. Without hesitation, one of the troops stepped up and smashed the driver's side window with the butt of his rifle. Barber pursed his lips. I appreciate the enthusiasm, he said dryly. But next time, let me handle this, or at the very least, break out the backseat window so I don't have to lay on broken glass. The soldier flushed crimson, but nodded to acknowledge his fuck-up. As he moved to stand guard, the private ducked inside to get to work. Bretz led his team around the complex. There were several cars, maybe a dozen or so just on this side alone. There were a few straggler zombies, but the soldiers quickly put them out of their misery with bladed strikes. As they came around the corner, a Central Park area came into view in the middle of several buildings. Once upon a time, it would have been beautiful, but the green grass was laden with crimson pools. Come on, let's see who's hiding, Brett said, and led the men through the breezeway of one of the three-story buildings. He paused to stab a ghoul in the head that flopped around on one of the concrete steps, apparently too broken to stand up. They emerged into the courtyard area, with multiple grilling areas and benches for sitting, but no creatures to be found. There were signs of scuffles, however, so there must have been zombies around at some point. Bretz clanged his knife against a metal barbecue lid, sending a loud metallic reverberation throughout the complex. There were a few tense moments of silence before moans filled the air, echoing in the breezeways. Several zombies emerged, a trickle quickly turning into dozens. Shit, the corporal muttered as they grew densely packed and headed for the barbecue pit. Okay, we're going to have to go weapons hot. Single shot, pick your target, and eliminate them as efficiently as you can. He smacked his communicator. McGee, we're going to start shooting. Just be aware of the attention. There was a brief moment of silence before the reply came. Not going to matter, we got our own shit show up here, McGee replied tersely. Bratz wasn't enthused about hearing that, as the mission suddenly had gotten much more difficult than he'd already thought. Before he could give the order to start firing, a chorus of gunshots erupted from the bridge, and he raised his hand. Light him up, he cried, and stepped forward, striking a creature square in the head. The rest of the men in his group did the same, unloading round after round, no longer caring about keeping the noise to a minimum. As they fired, the noise attracted several more zombies emerging from the buildings. One of the soldiers caught one out of the corner of his eye from the back and spun around to start firing in the other direction. There were a dozen ghouls coming from one breezeway about 20 yards away. Contact rear, he called, but his voice was drowned out by the constant gunfire. Contact rear! 
Still nobody turned, so he reached out and smacked the soldier next to him who turned around to help. The battle went on for a solid minute, the troops firing repeatedly. Finally, the dust began to settle on the corpses, and the gunfire trickled down to nothing, at least for their group. In the distance, massive amounts of gunfire still echoed from the bridge. Fuck, that just doesn't sound good, Bretz muttered, and smacked his communicator as he glanced over the dead to make sure there wasn't anything still moving. McGee, do you read? He demanded. McGee, do you read? Silence. The corporal pointed to three of his troops. You three, do a quick sweep of the rest of the complex. We're weapons hot, so fuck up anything that gets in your way, then haul ass back to the cars. The soldiers nodded and headed off through one of the breezeways. Bratz motioned to the other soldiers. Rest of you on me, he said, and led them back to the cars, seeing that Barbara and Cross had each gotten one started. The troops were about to pull out when Bretts waved them down. They rolled down their windows, pausing. Out of the car, I'm taking this one, the corporal said, pointing to the closest one. The soldier hopped out as a hail of gunfire resonated in the distance. I can't reach Corporal McGee, so I have to assume the worst, Brett said, addressing the group. I'm going to take charge up there. You all know what needs to be done, so do it quick. His men nodded and got back to work. Bretz hopped into the driver's seat and rolled the window down so he could speak to the other driver. Stay behind me, he instructed. The primary goal is to block off that bridge, so pick a spot and jam it in there. The soldier nodded and revved his engine. Bretz dropped the car into gear and peeled out of the complex, at least as much as he could in a late model sedan. The two vehicles came around the corner to witness a massive battle taking place on the bridge. There were hundreds of zombies in the distance coming at a group of six soldiers who had taken position behind a police car sitting sideways in the far right lane. They were expending ammo quickly, likely hoping to stem the tide, but the zombies were already within 10 yards of them. A little closer, another dozen or so troops had set up a makeshift firing position, trying to help stave off the advancement. Everyone else was engaged in various combat. One man was fighting off two zombies to the right, managing to shove one in the chest while the other sunk its teeth into his shoulder. Another duo were trapped between a car and a concrete barrier as a horde closed in, limbs flying as they leapt off the bridge into the water below. Bretz gaped at the carnage, and then he caught a glimpse of something terrifying. Two zombies in army fatigues emerged from behind one of the cars, looking around before letting out screeches and sprinting towards the big fire team down the bridge. Fuck, we got runners, he breathed, and hit the gas. He tore down the bridge, chasing the fresh zombies. He was able to hit them with the front of the car, sending them underneath. Running them over caused him to lose control of the vehicle, and he spun out as he thunked over them, slamming into the concrete barrier. As he collected himself, he looked back at the runners in the rear view. One was completely decimated by the car but the other just had some broken limbs and crawled across the asphalt. A soldier suddenly threw open the door, startling the corporal. Sir, are you okay? The soldier demanded shrilly. Bretz blinked at him and then nodded. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. He got out of the car, and the soldier immediately turned to fire at another runner that was headed their way. He missed, unused to the speed, and hit it in the torso instead of the head. 
He ducked and lunged into the zombie's stomach, using the momentum to hurl it off the edge of the bridge into the water. Bretts peeked over, watching it fall the 50 feet down onto the rocky terrain along the riverbank. He whipped his head around as the other car screamed by them, headed towards the horde. He got close and then cut to the side, skidding and slamming right into the front of the line of zombies. The impact broke several ghouls, but did little to hold them back. In a matter of seconds, the entire vehicle was covered in undead. Bretts noticed another runner getting up, and swallowed hard when he realized it was Corporal McGee. Soldier on me. The two men readied their weapons, waiting for the zombie to lock onto them. It screamed its dead screech and tore towards them. Bretts waited until he was about ten feet away, before firing one clean shot through its lifeless head. He looked around, shell-shocked at the only six men still standing outside of the fire teams at the far end of the bridge. Everybody on me, he finally screamed. We have to push them back. He led the men, rushing towards the fire teams. The first was barely able to hold the line, zombies starting to come around their makeshift barricade. The sound of a rumbling engine roared behind them, and Brett's motioned for them to come and park it in the firing line. The soldier hit the gas and drove up, slamming on the brakes just before reaching them. He drove it straight in, knocking several zombies out of the way and creating a box with a sideways police car. Zombies swarmed the driver's side, so he clambered over to the passenger's side and opened it, diving out to join the firing line. Bratz clapped him on the shoulder and headed up to the big fire team in the center of the bridge. We've got to push forward, he screamed and joined their firing, stepping forward. The men followed his lead, the formidable force expending a lot of ammunition, but succeeded in pushing the horde back a bit. As they got up to the edge, there were nearly a hundred zombies lying motionless in the streets, with hundreds more behind them. Three more vehicles rolled up, and Brett's motioned for them to add to the barrier, parking sideways. Two of them complied, but one stayed behind him. Why aren't you falling in? Bretts demanded. The driver waved at him. Because there are more cars we can bring in, but we don't have the drivers, he explained. I'm taking them back to get more, unless you think we need them. The corporal furrowed his brow, looking to the far end of the bridge, where hundreds more creatures ambled around the bend. Whatever you do, don't take your time, he said. The driver nodded as the two soldiers rushed back from their vehicles and jumped into his, they sped off back to the complex as Brett's turned to continue firing with his men. They were able to wipe out dozens of zombies between them and the car that had skidded by them, eventually being able to clearly see it. As they shot the last few between them, they saw the soldier inside the car, waving at them from the passenger side window. That dumbass is still alive, Brett's muttered. Let's move up and get him. He led three other troops as they stepped on the backs of the rotting corpses in the street eventually reaching the passenger side door. The soldier attempted to open it, but there were corpses piled three high, blocking it like a dam. Brett's and another soldier reached down to pull them away, and the soldier popped out, grinning wide. Holy shit, I fucked that one up, didn't I? He asked. Brett's clapped him on the shoulder. Understatement, now get back to the line. The soldier saluted and ran back behind the firing line, exchanging claps on the back with his fellow men. The shooting continued for another few minutes, 
finally clearing out the initial batch of zombies that were on the bridge. In the distance, another group of around a thousand were slowly making their way towards them. How long you figure till they get here? One soldier asked. The corporal took a deep breath. Fifteen, maybe twenty minutes? He looked over his shoulder as another trio of cars drove up, finishing the first line of the barricade across the bridge. The drivers got back into the transport car, but Brett's jogged up before they took off. The window unrolled so he could address them. How many more you got back there? He asked. The driver inclined his head. Six confirmed, he said. Maybe a couple more? We're checking the garages. Good, Brett's replied. When you come back, I want you to start bracing the line. Parallel park them against the bumpers where the cars connect. It isn't going to be perfect, but it should hold long enough for us to thin the herd. The driver nodded and sped away. The corporal looked over the troops he had left. 26 men on the bridge with him, 31 counting the ones on car duty. The moment hit him like a wave, overwhelming him, and he struggled to keep his composure. Are, are you okay, sir? A young soldier asked. Bratz took a deep breath. I'm, I'm okay. He looked over the large country boy, who looked like he'd been working on a farm since birth. He looked at his name badge. I'm okay, Kurzweil. The private took out his canteen and handed it to Brett's, who graciously accepted it and took a long swig. Kurzweil, I need you to do two things for me, the corporal said as he smacked his lips together. The private nodded. Whatever you need. I need you to get a few men to go on ammo collection from the fallen, as we're going to need every single shot, Brett's instructed. Kurzweil nodded. What else? The corporal sighed. I need you to tell me what in the hell happened here. Chapter 11 Kersey paced back and forth with a fresh cup of coffee, the stress and caffeine the only things keeping him awake at that point. The trio of soldiers clicked furiously at their machines, updating the map to show that half of Veradale had been taken. Captain, we just got word that the teams have successfully cleared out the space in front of the supercenter. David said triumphantly. Kersey nodded. Good, he replied. Have Herrera move up to the next position. I will, but I've also been informed that Herrera has a trio of survivors from the store, David replied. There aren't any APCs in the area. What should we do with them? The captain thought for a moment. Have someone escort them back to Johnson's position, he instructed. I think it's been quiet enough there today that we can assume it's a safe spot. He held up a hand before David could turn back around to his computer. Has there been any word from Brett's yet? David nodded. He radioed in just a moment ago, he said, and set the headset on the table. I'll patch you through. Thank you, Kersey said, grabbing the headset as David began punching rapidly on his keyboard. He put it on and waited for the thumbs up. When it came, he nodded and took a sip of coffee. How's it going over there, Corporal? Bridge is clear and we have a makeshift perimeter set up, Bretz replied, voice somber. We're hoping it can hold. We have a thousand of those things bearing down on us, and God only knows what else behind them. The captain nodded. Well, with 50 men, a thousand zombies shouldn't be much trouble. Bretz took a deep breath and let it out slowly. I only have 25 on the line, Cap, he said quietly. Kersey paled. Why'd you only have 25 on the line? 
I have a team of six going to the community college in search of more vehicles to shore up the line, the corporal explained. I also have 19 dead with two severely injured from leaping off of the bridge. In fact, I could use a medevac for them. If they don't get immediate care, I don't know if they're going to make it. Absolutely. The captain tapped one of the soldiers on the shoulder. You're at the top of the list, Bretts. I'll see if I can't round up a few reinforcements for you as well. The soldier nodded and got to work. That would be appreciated, Captain, Bretts replied, sounding exhausted. Kersey took a deep breath. But tell me, what in the fuck happened out there? He asked. I sent Corporal McGee to the bridge while we cleared the apartment complex to secure the vehicles, Bretts began, voice level. Apparently, he took up position with two of his men at the tree line on the north side of the bridge. The noise they made while trying to clear it attracted a mini horde who made quick work of them. They reanimated as runners and hit the troops from behind. Before they knew what was going on, it was a total bloodbath. Kersey waited a beat, his chest tight at the sound of his friend's desperate attempt to stay calm. Corporal, he said gently. Bretts, I've known you for a long time, and I know you're taking this hard. But you did what needed to be done, and you secured the objective. Because of you, this mission is going to be a success. Thank you, Captain, Bretts replied sullenly. Kersey firmed up his tone a little. Bretts, this isn't on you. I know you think it is, but it's not. I want to hear you say that. I know it's not on me, the corporal replied, just as more shots began to ring out on his end. Everything okay? Kersey asked. I need to go, Cap, Brett said. The next wave of those things is coming up. Stay safe, and I'll get the chopper over to you as soon as I can, Kersey promised, and the line went dead. He pulled the headset off and stared at it for a moment in disbelief. Captain, David said gingerly. I'm sorry, but I have General Stevens on the line for you. Kersey took a deep breath, a sip of coffee, and then set down his empty mug, putting the headset firmly back on his head. General Stevens, good to hear from you, sir. Good to hear from you as well, Captain, Stevens replied. I've been reading the reports from your assault on Spokane, and I have to say, I'm impressed with the strategy you've undertaken. Kersey nodded. Thank you, sir. Creating hubs to attract the hordes is nothing short of brilliant, Stevens continued. Something that would have been foolish and suicidal in any other war has quickly become a go-to tactic, something I'm going to make sure the boys above me are well aware of as they plan the Seattle operation. The captain nodded. Thank you, sir, but I do feel obligated to inform you that we are running behind schedule. Yes, I saw the underestimation of hostiles in Veradale, the general replied. No matter. It's going to be at least a week before we can get the bulk of the force up to your position anyway. Kersey chewed the inside of his mouth. A week? He frowned. I thought they were coming in a couple of days. Some will, yes, but we had some problems in Kansas City, and we had to divert attention to it, Stevens replied. What we thought was a horde coming out of a suburb turned into half the zombies in the goddamn city headed our way. Lost a lot of manpower, but we were able to hold the line. Kersey shook his head, rubbing his forehead. We've had setbacks too, but thankfully not on that scale. It looks like I made the right choice in promoting you, the general said. Kersey sighed. Thank you, sir, he said. What else can I do before the reinforcements get here? Just keep doing what you're doing, Stevens instructed. 
Clear us a path to Seattle so we can go cleanse it and start to rebuild. Yes, sir, the captain replied. I'll be in touch, Captain, Stevens promised. Until then, keep up the good work. The line went dead, and Kersey removed the headset, tossing it onto David's desk. Is the general happy? The lanky man asked. Kersey sighed again. About as happy as a general in wartime can be. David shrugged. Guess we can chalk that up as a win? It's a win, but a costly one, the captain replied. He picked up his mug, realizing it was empty again. He turned to leave for a refill, and then turned back around to address his men. Pass this down the line of command. No unnecessary risks. We have extra time, and we're going to use it. This battle is just a warm-up. When we start taking Seattle in a week, it's going to make this look like Little League. The soldiers and David stared back at him with wide eyes, the gravity of the words sinking in. Kersey took a deep breath. I'll put another pot of coffee on, he said, and held up his empty mug. You boys know what to do. End of book 12. As the second week comes to a close, the third week begins in El Paso with a daring mission to assassinate the head of the Rivas cartel.